Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KLA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer, as always. David, how are you today? I'm doing absolutely great. How about you? I'm doing really good. So, the first thing we're going to get into, like the last couple of weeks here, we're going to get into our Black History Month athlete. And this week's athlete was Ken Griffey Jr. of the Seattle Mariners. And when you look at Ken Griffey Jr., what a career he had. Started in 1989 after he was drafted by the Mariners in the first round of the 1987 MLB draft. And he went on to have a 22-year Hall of Fame career. During that career, he was a 13-time All-Star and amassed 10 Golden Gloves. He was a 7-time Silver Slugger and was a league MVP as well as the All-Star Game MVP. He finished his career with a batting average of 284 and hit 630 home runs. During his career, he played for three teams, the Mariners, the Reds, and the White Sox. And be sure to be on the lookout next week for our final Black History Month athlete and see who that is going to be. Tonight's episode, we have a lot of things to talk about. We have some NBA, we have Anthony Davis, the big injury there. We have MLB, new faces and new places, and then also the NFL, J.J. Watt being released. All some interesting topics we are going to get to here tonight, so let's get it started. First, we're going to start about the NBA. Anthony Davis, the Lakers star, injured. He had the Achilles injury, and now he's expected to miss some time because he re that injury against the Nuggets this week. Are you worried that AD may miss some serious time with this injury? Yeah, I'm definitely worried that he could miss serious time. I've had some problems with my Achilles, and that's it's a nasty injury. It pretty much stops everything you can do with your leg. Just running and walking hurts. So there's definitely questions about if he'll if he's going to return or when he's going to return. It's it's worrying. Yeah, it really is. And when you look at Anthony Davis, he is this star piece that was supposed to come to L.A. and help LeBron win all these championships. And one theme that's been there with his time in L.A. has been injuries. He's been banged up. And when you have LeBron, who's 36, 37 years old, and staying relatively healthy for most of the time, it brings up some serious questions about Anthony Davis. I know the report came out. He's, missed, he's supposed to miss two to three weeks, which will take them into the All-Star break, and he's supposed to be back after that. That, for me, is hopeful because when you look at it, the Lakers aren't playing for right now. They're playing for a championship. They just need to get into the playoffs. So Anthony Davis being hurt now, let him rest. That's their mindset there. But what worries me the most is the constant injuries with AD and this Achilles injury. Like you said, these are pesky injuries. They don't like to go away, and they continue to bother the athlete for most of the season. And when you look at some guys who have had Achilles tears, when you look at Richard Sherman in 2016, he talked about how his Achilles, it was at just any time it was ready to tear. And it was you either go out there and play or you just sit out until it tears. And he went out there and played and it eventually did tear. So when you look at this, I'm worried because this is a reoccurring injury. They, let, they gave him time off. He comes back, and now it's reoccurring. Now, when you look at this Lakers team, without Anthony Davis, can the Lakers stay afloat and make a postseason push? Yeah, they they definitely can. You have LeBron James as your star player beside Anthony Davis. He's still one of the best players in the league, and they have a lot of depth. They added a lot of depth around those two in the offseason, and 
yeah, the numbers, the on-off numbers for Anthony Davis, when he's on the court, they're a much better team. But they're still a good team when he's not on the court. It's just the West is so tough, they need to still make the playoffs. And then once AD comes back, they can go on that run. Yeah, I'm not really worried about this Lakers team. And actually, when you look at this Lakers team, when LeBron and Anthony Davis are on the court, their efficiency's up 14 points. But when it's just LeBron on the court, their efficiency is still positive. They're still plus three in those games. Almost four, about 3.7. So when you look at that, obviously, yes, LeBron James can take this team places. Look at all that he's done with Cleveland after Kyrie and Love left. And the Lakers, the first year he was there, he can hold on to this team and keep them afloat. He's the best player in the NBA right now. And I know that may be a little controversial, but he is. He's playing phenomenal, and he's playing his way towards a league MVP that I personally thought he should have got last season. But that's here nor there. I think they can stay afloat pretty easily here. He talked about their offseason acquisitions. I think that's really important to look at with this team because you look at those veterans that they added, they have guys that can step up and play during this injury. You look at the Morris brother they have. He can step up and play. He played good minutes in the postseason for them last year when they were in the bubble. And a guy I would love to really see step up again is Kyle Kuzma. I remember when they made the trade, I wanted Kuzma to stay with the Lakers so bad because I thought he had such a bright future. And he just hadn't panned out. It didn't look that great. And then he's starting to finally get it going. In his three games he started this year, he's averaging 19 points and almost 10 assists. So it's pretty impressive, and I'm excited to see if he can step into that role and show Lakers fans what they were hoping that they could have gotten from him right away. And our last point here about Anthony Davis, and it's an interesting one when you look at it. Anthony Davis has had a lot of injuries, and here we are talking about a new one. If he was by himself and never was able to team up with LeBron James or another superstar, would he have ever been able to win a championship? Overall, I don't think so, but that's not necessarily an indictment of Anthony Davis. It's just how the league is as a whole. You need either one star and a whole lot of depth and a really good starting uh, starting five and a really deep bench or two stars, and even then you have to have a lot of depth and good starters. The injuries are worrisome, but he's still so talented that when he's even when he's missing time it it his play when he's on the court makes up for it is what i'm trying to say yeah anthony davis i think he's a top 5 player in the league he's phenomenal i think he's the best big man in the league and he proved that last uh, postseason and what's interesting to me is if he was still by himself and we've seen him by himself in the pelicans situation we've seen him with boogie cousins a little bit with the pelicans and they're a phenomenal duo but he gets hurt, and then Boogie gets hurt, and then the Pelicans move on from both of them at some point. That's the one thing about Anthony Davis is he's a fantastic player, and he's one of the best in the league. But those injuries are constantly there. And if you are an injured top five best player in the league, you're still not going to be able to take your team far into the postseason because you are dealing with injuries, and you're not playing your best basketball. And that's why without the Lakers, he's never made it past the second round. That's why, right there. When you look at most of those matchups, 
there's been a few where they could have came out on top, but they ran into a team like the Golden State Warriors, led by Steph Curry, and they were taking the league over. And that's understandable. But the injuries that made him miss most some time there when he was with DeMarcus Cousins, that's where you're like, okay, that's why he wasn't able to do this by himself. And it helps a lot having another superstar, and that's why everyone has two or three. You look at the Nets. They just went out and added James Harden. It's incredible how these teams are being built these days. It's at least two superstars if you want to be successful, like you said. And it's really impressive. It just takes a lot of pressure off of that other person. I think that's why we're seeing some of these duos come together. It's because when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they can both you see the Lakers do their rotation a lot. LeBron on the court, then Anthony Davis on the court, then both of them together to close out the games. But for most of the first half, they're not on the court together other than the first five minutes. And it's just good strategy to be able to do that. So I don't think he ever would have won a championship by himself, but I don't think a whole lot of players would have ever won a championship by themselves in today's day and age. The last one that, you, in my opinion, you can really look at and say, okay, he kind of really helped carry that team. A couple that come to mind to me are um, Dirk Nowitzki in 2011 and Dwayne Wade in 2006. And even Dwayne Wade in 06, his numbers, he averaged over 30 points in that finals game, but he still had great veterans. Alonzo Mourning, Shaquille O'Neal, there was Gary Payton. There was good guys there. So I think that goes for a lot of players in the NBA. Look at LeBron James in Cleveland when he had to go up against the Warriors. And he had just J.R. Smith, and Kyrie and Kevin Love had been injured and left. It's just hard to do. And now, speaking of the Nets a little bit, we're going to go on to Kevin Durant here. He's going to miss two games with an injury. And when you look at that big three, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, those three together are very scary. But there's an issue. They've only played seven games together. Do you think the Nets can overcome all of these injuries? You know, I'm, I'm going to doubt on this one. I'm going to kind of hate on the Nets. If they can't all be on the floor together, they're not going to have much of a chance to win the finals. It, they, There just isn't enough depth there for only two solid players to win. And again, that's talking about how star-oriented the NBA is, but you really need all three of those guys to be able to... One of them is has to be on the court at all times and if they're not rotating the minutes correctly and they don't have a star player on the court they're going to be losing games a lot yeah they're just going to be losing games a lot yeah and we've seen them struggle a little bit they are one of only four teams in the eastern conference with a winning record right now but it's very close they're very close to 500 there and we've seen spurts of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all look like themselves with this trio. But what scares me is all these injuries, if they're not all playing together, how are they going to feel each other out, learn who's going to be the guy taking those final shots? All three of those guys knew coming into this that they were guys that, I'm going to take that last shot. If there's one shot to win this game, I'm going to be the one taking it. But now, you're not figuring that out. And when you look at it, yes, Kyrie Irving had a fantastic game on Monday night. He was phenomenal, had close to 40. And then James Harden as well had 30 points, I believe 29, actually. But still, great performance by the two. I think they're going to need all three of these guys together. Because, like you said, depth is one thing. 
And then two, when you look at it, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, if they don't combine for close to 100 points between the three of them, they're not going to win many games. And it is a depth issue that they have. They're going to have to score almost 100 points a game between the three of them. Can they do that? Absolutely. Any one of these guys can go drop 40, and you have one of the best shooters of all time. You have one of the best big shooters of all time with Kevin Durant at the 7-foot mark. And then Kyrie Irving, he just needs to get back to himself. I feel like he's been just so caught up with the media and then battling with himself. He needs to get back to the Kyrie Irving before he demanded that trade after they won the finals, which was interesting. But that's what he needs to get back to. And he wanted his own team. He doesn't have that here with the Nets anymore, but he still has a chance to be successful. So do I think they can overcome all the injuries? I do, but not necessarily because of how good I think they can be. I think it's mostly has to do with more the East is just so weak right now with only those four teams with uh, winning records right now. And I think we could see this season the East only have five teams with a winning record get into the postseason. I think that's very realistic right now, the way that it's all shaping up. And when you look at it the with the Nets, I talked about it a little bit. Are you worried about team chemistry moving forward? They're all missing time. They've only played seven games together so far. Are you worried about that chemistry? I'm absolutely worried about the chemistry. All three of these guys have had problems with previous teams Harden with the Rockets and that saga Kevin Durant leaving uh, leaving Oklahoma City then the Warriors and Kyrie Irving leaving the Cavs they've all had kind of ego problems which those the big egos are warranted because of how proficient they are at this game but not being able to play together not being able to practice together and figure out how their games, how that they work together, is going to be tough. And that could, you know, take out any promise this season has. Yeah, I agree with you. And I touched on chemistry a little bit when it comes to who's going to be taking that last shot. But also, the one thing when I saw this trade go down was, who's going to step down to that third scoring role? All three of these guys are dominant scorers. Who's going to take that step back? When you look at it, I think Kevin Durant, no. It can't be Kevin Durant. I think he's the best scorer out of all three of them. I know James Harden's the better shooter, but just pure efficiency-wise, I think Kevin Durant's the best scorer of the three. Then you look at Kyrie and James Harden. I would venture to say I'd want James Harden to be that next scorer for me, but at the same time, is Kyrie Irving going to be fine with that? I don't know. It's going to be something interesting to watch because we haven't seen all three of them together. We've seen two of them together, and it's worked well. But we haven't seen all three together. And when you look at some other big threes when they came together, one that comes to mind is Golden State when they brought Kevin Durant, um, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson together. Who took that step back there? It was Kevin Durant. He came to Golden State, and he took over. He was the one winning the finals MVPs. He was the one getting all the media attention. And that's why Draymond Green had issues with them. Because their original team was so good with the Miami Heat when they formed their big three. LeBron James, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. They got to the finals and one game Chris Bosh would have 25. One game Dwayne Wade would have 25. The next game LeBron would have 25. And then there would be games where LeBron scores less than 10 points. It was just the chemistry there was not set up. And you saw year two 
how much better that team got. They went straight to the finals, and they took out Oklahoma City for one series win. So I think that is going to be key for them. If they can't figure the chemistry out, this team won't work. And I think they can. It's going to be difficult because I think it's the first time we've seen three just elite dominant scorers come together, and all three of them have personalities on and off the court. So I think that makes it an interesting matchup. And keep talking about the injuries a little bit here. Can two of these, can two of these players out of the three carry the Nets? Let's say they get to the postseason and one of them's banged up and they're missing games like we've seen. Can two of the three carry the Nets out of the East and get them to the finals? I think so. It just depends on which two it is. If Kevin Durant is out for their finals run. You know, actually, I think any two of them can make it to the finals in the East and, like, win the East. But, again, that's because the East is just so weak this year. Like, even the Celtics, who I personally thought were going to come in and kind of run the East, they're sitting at 13-13. and They're playing 500 basketball, and they have not looked very good. It's The East is so weak compared to how hyper-competitive the West is. So two out of the three of them are going to be able to carry them to the finals or possibly, you know, anything can happen in a basketball game, but it's the East is just so weak. Yeah, you're exactly right. And when I look at these two, obviously I think, like you said, Kevin Durant would be the one I'd want on the court at all times because he is kind of the big of the two. The other two at the guard position, yes, it's nice. You saw it just the other night when they're scoring a lot of points together. It's fun. But can you beat really good teams like that? I don't know because you're going to get teams that play good defense. I think they can get out of the East because I think when all three are healthy, they're by far the best team in the East. And it's, it's sad to say, but it's almost kind of by default, like you said. One team that's disappointed me the most is the Miami Heat. They really have not looked good. And I was worried when they went to the bubble. I was worried when they went to the finals and everyone's like, okay, this is going to be a team that can be good for the future. I didn't think so. I was very hesitant on them. I I didn't know if they were going to be able to repeat or if they are going to be stuck where they were. And I just don't think they really were that good of a team. I think, obviously, they played the moments great, and they had the shooters, they had the depth. Jimmy Butler played like a star, but so much went right for them to get there. I don't think they're getting that this year, and not to mention such a long season to get all the way there and lose. I think a lot of that is playing into this Heat team. I thought that would be their top competition. It's not that way. You look at the Celtics, like I said, not that way. The 76ers are interesting because Embiid's playing very good right now. And then Ben Simmons also, I believe he had a 35-40 point game the other night. He's playing well as he's playing good as well. And he had a first quarter where he had almost 20 points and was seven of seven from the field. And which isn't a huge shock for Ben Simmons because most of his points are dunks. So um, I'd like to see him improve as a shooter if they want to take out this Nets team. But the Nets. If you can get two of them, I think you can win the East. I think I, because each of those players combined for, let's say, 60 a game, you get two to combine for 60, I think that gets you out of the East. 
And now, when you look at this team, when they're all three healthy, are they the best team in the league? In the league, I don't think so. I think the West is just too good. As as I've been saying all show, the West is the best, like like the doors say. Uh, <laughs> so they're the best team in the East, easily. But they have competition in the West. The Jazz probably can take them in a seven-game series. The Lakers, with Anthony Davis, can probably take them in a seven-game series. So overall, no, they're not the best team in the league. It's just because they lack that defense and rebounding that comes with having a good bench and having good depth as well as those superstars. Yeah, I don't think they're the best team in the league either. And talk, you brought up the Jazz. I'm a huge fan of Donovan Mitchell, and he's playing fantastic. I'm very happy for that Jazz team. I, I was hoping that they would pull out that series against the Nuggets last year. So seeing them come out and be very successful early on, I love it, and I hope they keep it up. And no, they're not the best team in the league. There's an argument to be said that they may not even be the best team in the East. There's an argument for it. Um, you only get those top three teams. But I think once they get there, and I think they do get there, they're going to face a team from the West, and that team from the West I think is going to be able to beat them. I'm not going to say it's going to be a like 4-1 series, but six games? I think so. I think the, a team from the West could take them out in six games. So for me, no, they're not the best team in the league. And now looking at some stars that want to get traded, and their front offices are willing to do that, Pistons are sitting Blake Griffin for, in quote, trade purposes. They're going to rest him and until he gets traded and then move him on to a new team. Don't want him to get hurt, things like that. And Draymond Green, Monday night, went off on that. He went off on Andre Drummond's situation, but Blake Griffin is also in that same situation, talking about how when players want to be traded, and you look at James Harden, he really didn't play that well. He was slacking a little bit and then he gets moved he his image looks bad for wanting to leave but when a front office is willing to tell a player you're not going to play just to try to trade them and nothing there's no black backlash no one's talking about the front offices of the Pistons or the Cavs and what they're doing to Drummond and Blake Griffin do you think when you look at these two situations the Harden situations one but players wanting to get traded do you think they do get a worst image of them as opposed to when a front office is willing to just move on from a player? Not for any certain reason, because Andre Drummond, who we're going to get to next, is still playing pretty good basketball for a team that's not good in Cleveland. Yeah, I think there's definitely an imbalance there. Sitting out, Making the choice for yourself, sitting out, historically kind of looks like you're quitting on the team. Whereas for... A, a team and a management to sit a player so they can trade them and keep that asset healthy. It's really viewing the player as an asset and not as a person, which I'm not a fan of at all. I think players should, they definitely have the right to sit when they want to. I, I advocate for players' rights as often as I can, but I think part of Andre Drummond is he just wants to play. I think he's a little younger and he's just having more fun than Blake Griffin is right now, which is part of why 
he's playing versus why Blake Griffin's not. Yeah, and when I look at this situation, I'm normally, like with you, I'm normally one to always go to the players' side of things. And when I look at these situations, I do question why does James Harden get a bad look? Because he did go out there and play because the front office of Houston said, yeah, you're going to play for us until we trade you. And he didn't play very well. No, he didn't give everything he had. I think that was pretty obvious. When you look at to a front office, no, I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad that he went out there and did that because he wanted out of Houston and he found a way to get it done. What upset me about that situation was the other players on that team he was there letting down. John Wall, Boogie Cousins, both guys coming back from injuries that were playing pretty good. And I thought they could have had a decent team moving forward. Now, that's where I didn't agree with James Harden. But I do not agree with the front offices being able to just sit players if they are not willing to do that. Look at Andre Drummond. I believe he's 27 years old. He's still young, has a lot of basketball out in front of him. For that example, Blake Griffin is a guy that's been struggling. He's been struggling a few since he's got to Detroit. He had one decent year there with Detroit. But other than that, he's been struggling with injuries, needs a new change of scenery. But if these players want to play and you're just going to sit them so you can trade them, you turn them into this value I'm going to get rid of, why are they not getting that bad image? When you, when, If I'm a player on a team and they're going to sit a guy just so they can get rid of him and he doesn't get hurt, to me, I'm like, okay, I'm not a huge fan of that. And before we go to our first break here, we're going to start to dive into the Blake Griffin situation here. And when we look at Blake Griffin getting sat, they're going to try to move on, get a new change of scenery. What teams do you think should try to step up and make a move for Blake Griffin? It depends on what the Pistons are asking for. Because you do have like the name recognition of, oh, that's Blake Griffin, that's a superstar. Which, depending on the team, you could get more people in seats for, well, more people watching games is the more accurate phrase. But it's just going to be how much do the Pistons value him as an asset and what are they asking for I think he should go to a contender who's they're looking for a depth piece honestly the first thought in my mind is uh, the Nets just because he adds some you know height and he's a big who can get rebounds which is where they struggle but obviously the thought there is what are they going to trade for him they don't have much left to trade so I think there's some interesting teams that you could go to yeah Blake Griffin is a tough situation because he is not the Clippers Blake Griffin and towards the end of Clippers Blake Griffin was there was a lot of injuries there but a lot of people forget how good he was when he was a part of Lob City it was fantastic to watch Chris Paul DeAndre Jordan DeAndre Jordan and the Blake Griffin connection there with the Nets I like that one but for me, Blake Griffin has not he's played one season out of the last five or four five years where he's played over seventy games. When you look at his past seasons, in twenty seventeen he played about fifty games. Then you look at eighteen, nineteen, he played seventy five games. And then nineteen twenty, he played eighteen. And then this year he's only played in the twenty games. For me, it's worrisome because he is dealing with injuries. He's not the same player. And when you look, when you think of Blake Griffin, you think of the crazy dunks. I think everyone does. 
he doesn't have that type of ability anymore. So when I'm a team looking to trade for him, obviously you'd want to see Blake Griffin go to a contender. I'm not sure any contender would be willing to give a huge haul for Blake Griffin. For me, I think Blake Griffin, what happens to him is he goes to a team, a lowly team, and he's a guy that sells tickets. You talked about the name recognition. I think that's what he turns into. A team that doesn't have big-name players is going to make a move for him to try to sell tickets, sell some jerseys, because it is Blake Griffin. And he is... He was one of the most. One time was one of the most exciting players to watch in the NBA. He's not that anymore. I just don't think any contender is going to give up the assets the Pistons would be looking for to get him. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to look at Blake Griffin just a little bit more before we move into some other trade rumors: Lonzo Ball and Andre Iguodala. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to get right back into our Blake Griffin talk here. And when we were talking about Blake Griffin, we talked about how he's been missing games. He's just not the same player. Could we see Blake Griffin, if he gets a new change of scenery, get back to his old self? I don't think so. It's sad to see, but that's just kind of what happens with players that are so dependent on their athleticism. When they age and start to get injured, they have to transition their game. And I think a good example of this is Derrick Rose. When he was, you know, first in the league, he was throwing his body around, doing, really relying on his athleticism. And after he got hurt and kind of bounced around the league, he's redefined his game. And that's why he's successful. I think Blake Griffin either has to do that and really, really focus on redeveloping his game or he's just going to not succeed anymore. Yeah, I think, I don't think we'll ever see the same Blake Griffin because that's Blake Griffin was so exciting. And I love the Derrick Rose point. And I think another good example of that would be Dwayne Wade. He was a guy, they called him Flash. He was all over the place. And he was a guy that he was bouncing around. And he had to deal with a lot of knee injuries. Once LeBron came around, he missed a lot of time. A lot of people don't talk about that. He missed a lot of time with with that big three in Miami. And then when you look at his time in Chicago, Cleveland, and back to Miami, it was injury riddled. So I think that while, yes, Blake Griffin can possibly get back there, I don't think he can. And I'm not saying he won't because I hope he does. But I don't think he can. And when you look at what he did, in 2018-2019, when he was an all-star, once again, averaging pretty much 25 points a game for the Pistons. That's his last really fantastic season that he had. And I would say it was probably one of the best he had in his whole career. His game has been changing. And that's the thing about Blake Griffin. He, he has to change his game, but it has been. He's been turning into more of a shooter, not a Steph Curry-type shooter, but he's turning into more of a guy that can hit jump shots. He's not dunking as much as he used to. And he's developing low post moves. That's all things we've seen the last couple of years from him. And it's not successful for him. He's not nearly the same guy. You look at the last two seasons, averaging 15 and 12 points a game, which is on par for some of his worst ever. So can he change his game? I don't think so. I don't think he can adapt and really become that spot-up shooter. Yeah, he's a guy that can hit some shots. 
and he's not going to be the most consistent with it. But at this point, I think he's really a 4-5 option if he's lucky on a bad team. I really think that's where he's kind of at at this point. If he was to go to a contender, I don't think he'd be a starter. And even off the bench, I don't I don't know if he'd be a sixth man. And if he is able to come back and start to show some of those signs, injuries are huge with him right now. And there's just a lot going on with Blake Griffin. So I don't expect him to be some big splash trade here as we head into the All-Star break in a couple weeks. Now we move into Andre Drummond, who we've talked about a little bit. He's been in trade rumors from Cleveland. He's getting interest from the Raptors and the Mavericks. Do either of those teams make sense for Andre Drummond? Yeah, definitely. They're two teams that are looking to like take that little step forward to make themselves a playoff team. Dallas is just right on the cusp, which is frustrating because they are in the West, which is such a hard thing to do. But I like him to the Raptors more. The Raptors have a lot of talent, but they're struggling with their bigs. And Andre Drummond is the prototypical big, a run, jump, and dunk center. He's going to pull down rebounds like nobody's business. And I think that's really going to help. Uh, in his career, he's led the league in total rebound average four times. And he's still, this season, pulling down 13 and a half per game, which is incredible. I think that'll really add to the Raptors team. It's just what are they going to have to give give up to get him? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I I think Raptors too. And I look at the Mavericks team and yes, they have Luka, yes they have Kristaps. Those are kind Kristaps is your big. Is supposed to be your prototypical big of your team. That's why you traded for him. Then also Luka, he's a guy that plays that small forward to power forward position at times. So you have your two best players as your, in quotes, big, your bigs. So when you look at this Raptors team, yes, they have Siakam. But adding a guy like Drummond, I think would be huge. Because you have Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry, and now Drummond with Siakam. I like that group there. I think they can make some noise. And when you look at Andre Drummond, I think his personality would fit well in Toronto. That's been something he's been bounced around from uh, Detroit to Cleveland. And people have talked about his personality. Maybe it's a little too much. I think it fit in well with that team. Kyle Lowry is the type of player that he's fun. He's not the most exciting to watch, but he makes big plays. And he's a good teammate. He's a fun teammate. When you look at him and DeMar DeRozan, they had that such a great relationship. Kyle Lowry was the funny one. He's the one that's always making them laugh. And I think Drummond would love coming into that situation. The biggest question is, when you look at Andre Drummond, do you think he still has what it takes to be an elite, dominant big? Cleveland's moving on from him, and they're in a rebuilding situation. They're letting Jared Allen take over that center position while he's in disputes with Colin Sexton. So obviously there's some animosity between those two players, but they're still going to move on from Drummond. Do you think they see something we don't see? Do you think Drummond still has it? I think he still has it. It's it's a little worrisome, but I think the biggest thing here is he's just on a bad team, and they're still rebuilding. That's the big thing for me. They're still rebuilding, and he's he's coming up to a big con. 
he's going to sign a big contract soon. He's getting up up there in age, quote unquote, for for a basketball player, 27. Wow, that feels wrong to say. It really but does. <laughs> ooh. Uh but yeah, he's 27, so that's later in the career length. He's played for uh 10 seasons so far. So you know, there is some wear and tear on his body, but I think he still can be a really efficient and effective big in this league. Is he going to be an absolute star? I don't think so, just because of how the league is and how three-point centric it is, and he just he just doesn't shoot threes. So I think he can be effective, but he's not going to be the focal point of a team. Yeah. And I like that a lot. And when I look at Andre Drummond, you made a great point about uh, he's getting up there in age. To me, when I saw Andre Drummond was 27, I felt like he'd been in the league for so long. Seems like he would be so much older than that. But just 27 years old, he's actually playing some of the best basketball he's played in his career. Rebounds-wise, he's a couple off from his best. He's at 16 in his best season. Right now, he's sitting about 13 and a half. But when you look at his season's total... All 10 of them, he's in that five top five range for rebound numbers. And points-wise, he's right up there with the tops of his career. It's He's playing phenomenal right now. And I think when you look, I look at Blake Griffin and I look at Andre Drummond, who I want to make a move for, I'm, I'm making a move for Andre Drummond. Absolutely. He's playing fantastic basketball right now. And I think we've we may have seen the best Andre Drummond but this Andre Drummond is not that far off of what we've seen from the best um, Drummond. I think he very much still has it, and any team that makes a move for him, you're going to get a dominant big man that come postseason time, let's say he stays in the East, for example, you're going up against that Nets big three, you're going to have a dominant guy down low, which the Nets don't have. No offense to DeAndre Jordan, but you don't have that dominant center down there like Drummond. And that could be what changes the series. So, I think he very much still has it. I'd love to see him on the Raptors team, just like you. The Even the Mavericks, when you look at them, if they did make a move for him, I would not, I would not sneeze at that. Because that would also be a big-time addition. You have Chris Stops and Drummond down low, and you're just going to let Luka do his thing up there in the front court. It's impressive. I really think that they would make a nice move, too. I would prefer the Raptors, but both teams there make a lot of sense. And whoever gets him is going to get a good elite center. He's one of the best in the league when it comes to centers. And you may say, oh, well, his numbers aren't like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry. No, they're not, obviously. Just averaging about 13 points or whatever, or whatever he's at, 17, I believe. When you look at that, though, Compared to other big men in the league, that's a dying breed. And he's still out there doing it with the best of them. So if I'm a team and I need some elite talent, Andre Drummond's on my trade list for sure. And even if it's just for the rest of the year, like you said, you have the big contract come up. Even if it is just for the rest of the year, try to go win that championship. We're seeing that a lot more in sports. Teams willing to make a big trade and then let that player go just to go in for a championship. Now... We're going to look at another guy in trade rumors, Lonzo Ball. And when he got drafted by the Lakers, obviously his dad had LeVar. There was a lot of immediate attention around that family. 
He's back in trade rumors now. He got moved from the Lakers to the Pelicans in the Anthony Davis trade. Now he's back in those in the rumor mill. Do you think the Pelicans should move on from Lonzo Ball? I think it's it depends on what they're going to get for him. Obviously, uh, he is probably playing the best basketball of his career right now, which is still a very short career thus far. Uh, he's shooting more efficiently. Uh, both just from the field and from three. I think it's not a terrible move to uh, trade him away. I've never been a big fan of Lonzo. The shooting form just, it, it gets it gets me and, and it rubs me the wrong way. But he is a talented guard. Defensively, he he's up and down, but he can, uh, his playmaking ability is definitely there. And he's improved every season. So I think keeping him, there are merits there. You have a, a young team moving forward, but you could also add some pieces either for the future or to try and compete right now. Yeah, it's tough when, you look, when you're in the Pelicans position because you are a team that obviously can make some noise, try to sneak into the playoffs, get in there. You do have Zion Williamson. But come postseason time, are you going to be able to compete with the big dogs of the NBA? No. And when you look at Lonzo Ball, in my opinion, that trade for him was never about the talent Lonzo could provide to the Pelicans. It was more just about the fact that it was the big name that they brought in. It was a big piece to say, okay, we got rid of Anthony Davis, our best player, but we took all these big names from the Lakers with that. And most of those pieces have panned out pretty well. You look at Brandon Ingram, all-star last year, has been playing well. And then when you look at Lonzo, he's gotten better, I think, but it's still, when you're the number two pick in the draft and you saw what he did at UCLA, you just expect more from him, and he really is going to be that long-term project. He's, like you said, slowly getting better, but do you want to wait to see what his ceiling could be or do you want to move on from him and get some assets while he's still just 23 years old? If I'm the Pelicans, I think I'm moving on. I think I move on from him. Obviously, I don't think you're going to get the best trade compensation, but I'm not sold that he's going to pan out to be everything you want him to be. And getting some any type of compensation, as long as it's not just lowly, lowly offer, it's a pretty decent offer, I think you take it because... When I look at Lonzo Ball, he reminds me a lot of Ben Simmons in terms of playmaking, but you look at the inability to shoot, Ben Simmons is still fantastic and still is an elite scorer in the NBA while being that playmaking point guard. Lonzo Ball, who has some issues shooting as well, he's improved, but still has issues shooting, is not that elite scorer. He is a good playmaker an offensive playmaker, but he's still not that elite scorer that Ben Simmons is, and that's the biggest difference between them. So if I'm the Pelicans, I do move on. I try to get some um, worth back on that and try to build up a team to get around Zion right now because with Zion, don't waste any of your time. You can be successful when he's on the court. When you look at Lonzo, I talked about him being the second overall pick from UCLA to the Lakers. Is he ever going to live up to that selection? 
Uh, no, I don't think so, unless he changes some stuff drastically. But just looking back at that draft class, I don't think really many of those picks have panned out. The only one right now is Jason, Jason Tatum, who's been fantastic. He struggled a little this season, but there aren't too many. Like, there are some names that jump out, but nobody who's really taken the league by storm, other than Donovan Mitchell, down at 13. But overall, it, it was kind of a weak class. I don't think, you know, the draft is always hindsight's twenty twenty, but there were better moves at number two than Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I agree. And at the time, I get why they did it. I really do. But I don't think he's ever going to live up to that hype. And it's tough because a lot of when you look at NBA drafts, a lot of those players don't ever really develop into what you expect of them. When you look at other sports, obviously with the MLB, guys get moved around, people get drafted. There's all types of they go to different teams and they have their uh, different training before they get to the big leagues. They have all the minors. The NBA, obviously, there's the G League. It's changed name a few times. I believe it's the G League right now. But they go there for a summer, and then they're right into the league. The NFL, you go straight into your team. But it seems like the NBA, out of all those, out of the NFL, I guess the MLB is different because there are so many rounds. But when you look at the uh, NBA, there's only two rounds, but a lot of those picks don't necessarily pan out like you think they're going to. Looking at that draft class in 2017, Markel Fultz, a lot of people thought he was going to be good. Not that great. Talk about Jason Tatum. That was a very good pick. He's done well. Josh Jackson is not even on his original team anymore. Darian Fox is a guy that he's played pretty well, but still, could you argue number two overall talent? No, I don't think so. He's done well. He's going to be a good pro, but uh, just still not number two overall talent. Obviously, if you could change things, you're going to take Donovan Mitchell. He would have been fantastic there if you could change things. But as I continue to look through this draft class, you look at a pick 22, Jared Allen. That's pretty good value-wise. Then you look at Kyle Kuzma at 27. Even then, Kyle Kuzma showed signs, but he's not lived up to what he should be. So I think, no, he hasn't lived up to that number two overall pick. But I don't make as much of a shot at him. Because NBA players in NBA drafts have a lot of missed picks. There are only five starters on the court. And then obviously you have your bench guys. But if you're number two overall, you're expected to be an elite type of guy. He's not that. And I don't think a lot, you look at a lot of drafts, there's been a lot of missed picks early on that don't get talked about. So I think he's going to be a guy that's just going to bounce around the league, give, give good minutes to a team. And he's never going to be that number two overall selection. I think this one is pretty easy. Looking back at the Pelicans-Lakers trade, at the time, there was people that argued the Pelicans won that trade. Would you agree with that? No, I don't think so. Uh, Lonzo was a little overhyped, as we talked about. Brandon Ingram was a great addition, but just and the draft picks are always good, but... Anthony Davis is the best player in the league, arguably. Top five for sure. And trading that away is almost never a good move. So I think 
they they've pretty sufficiently lost that trade. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And I never thought that they won it to begin with. I did. I wanted to see a Zion and Anthony Davis duo so badly because that would have been so much fun to watch. But LeBron Anthony Davis also very fun to watch. So I'm not complaining one bit. But the Lakers won it from day one, in my opinion. And they officially won the trade when they won the NBA championship. That's what he was brought in to do. Win the championship with LeBron James. The Lakers knew they had to win right now. Lonzo, they didn't have time to let him develop. Brandon Ingram, he was a guy that he had his struggles. But are they going to let him develop on that team? No. They're not going to give him that time. And Josh Hart, no offense to Josh Hart, but he's the forgotten guy in that trade these days. So I think... The Lakers definitely won that trade, and they're going to get, I think, a couple championships, in my opinion. I don't think LeBron and AD are just going to win one together. I expect them to win at least one more before it's all said and done. And when you look at trades to help out Lonzo, is there a team that you think Lonzo could go to that can help him out, help him develop quicker than what we've seen? I think, obviously, he probably needs a change of scenery. For me... I'm always trying to send guys to contenders because it's not it's not enjoyable to see someone traded away to a team where he's just kind of going to languish around. Like what Andre Drummond is right now with the Cavs. I'd like to see Lonzo... I think him going to the Mavs would be interesting. He He brings a lot of playmaking that they need because of having your two best players be bigs, they're struggling a little bit there. So I think him going to the Mavs could be interesting. Also, the Warriors, just as a backup option, because your depth there is kind of struggling to maintain pace with what Steph Curry is doing. I think those are my two. Yeah, both those spots I like, and Golden State's one I like a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense for him, and it kind of goes along the lines of the same thought process I have with my team I picked the Suns I said I picked the Suns because when you look at yes they have Chris Paul yes they have Devin Booker they have two of the best guards in the league paired together I would love Lonzo to be able to go to a team and come off the bench behind a guy like Chris Paul who I think is an elite veteran I think he can really help shape Lonzo's career and get him going in the right direction and then when you look you have Devin Booker there you're an elite scorer and the Suns does also go in lines with your contender, four in the West right now, a good team. He gets to come off the bench and be successful. And his numbers that he's providing right now for the Pelicans, I think put that on that Suns team. It would make them even better. It would take a lot of pressure off of him. And I think he got a lot of pressure being from UCLA and going to the Lakers and all the media attention his dad brought to him. It was a lot of pressure on him. Now he can go to Phoenix, small market NBA team. And I know the Pelicans also are a small market uh, NBA team. But even going there, you still have that thought. Everyone's thinking, oh, you were the former Laker. You didn't work out. Now you move on to the Suns. The Lakers are in the rearview mirror. You're not even thinking about them anymore. And you have a chance to learn from Chris Paul. And in my opinion, that's just an opportunity I would not want to pass up. Now, would the Suns want to make that move? That's here nor there. But that's an opportunity that I would love to see Lonzo get. I think it could help him out in the long run in his development. Now we're going to do a little buy or sell here before we take our next break. 
Are you buying or selling the Mo Bamba to the Lakers rumors? I'm going to sell that. I don't think the Lakers really need him. He hasn't panned out all that much. He's not starting anymore. He's only started one game in his career. I don't think he's just struggled. So what would what would the Lakers be willing to give up for him? Maybe maybe a second somewhere. And I'll, the Magic just don't want to give that up and abandon. I, I hate talking about it like this, but abandon a resource that quickly. It's been three years, but it, I, I'm not buying it. For me, it was tough. It was tough for me. Um, I'm, I'm buying the trade rumor. Um, I'm not necessarily saying this trade is going to go down, but I'm buying the Lakers' interest, and I think something there could get done. Because when I look at this Lakers roster, I'm looking at LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder, Caruso, Marcus Gasol, Mo Harrell, KCP. And when I look at those guys, I keep going through this team, I go, okay, where's the big man? Where's the center at? I know Anthony Davis, obviously, but injured. Where's my center? Who's my guy who's going to get me my rebounds? It's not there. Marcus Saul is not the same player that he was. At this point, he's had a lot of struggles this year, and he hasn't necessarily panned out to the signing I thought he would be. But adding in that guy like Mo Bamba, who needs more development, and a guy who I think you can get relatively cheap compared to regular NBA massive deals, relatively cheaper, I think that'd be a big pickup for the Lakers, and it may not pan out. But just getting that guy there, and who knows? It's something about those Lakers colors, that Lakers scenery. Guys just play different, and they really do just develop on that team. It's it's weird, but that's just the way it is. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get through a couple more trade rumors in the, ML, in the NBA Excuse me. before we move on to the MLB signings we've seen recently. Jake Arrieta comes home. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to get right back into our buy or sell, these trade rumors that we've been seeing around the NBA. Next one, Andre Iguodala traded to the Clippers. You buying or selling those rumors? I'm selling that one. I, I like Andre Iguodala. He's been a great player for a long time. Now I can actually say he's old because he's 37 in, in <laughs> sports terms. That makes more sense. Uh, he's struggled a little recently. The efficiency has gone down. He's he's not the same defensive player that he was. And the need isn't really there as that kind of uh, small forward, maybe vaguely verging on being able to play power forward depending on who's in the opponent's lineup. They don't really need anyone like that. You have Kawhi, you can put there you have Marcus Morris and Paul George who can all three of them can play there so I don't think the needs there and I don't think he's gonna get traded there yeah I'm selling those rumors too uh I think he could very well get traded but if I'm the Clippers I don't have much interest in Andre Iguodala one I don't think the Heat are gonna let him go for just nothing I think they're gonna expect a decent return back it was the same thing when the Heat got Andre Iguodala the I think it was the Grizzlies that had him. He got moved from Golden State to, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the Grizzlies, then to the Heat. They expected a good trade for him, and that's why the Lakers didn't get him. They wanted a good offer, and that's exactly what happened. The Heat provided that. 
he gets moved. I think the Heat are going to want the same thing back. If I'm the Clippers, one, I don't necessarily have picks at all after the trades I've made just a couple years ago. And player-wise, I'm already pretty – I don't have much depth to begin with. Yes, I have a very good roster. I do have some good, valuable names coming off the bench. But I'm not necessarily the deepest team in the league. So can I give up? give up players to go get Andre Godala, who's, like you said, already old. Yes, it was cool. He uh, held LeBron to over 30 points in the finals and got MVP for it. It was cool, but I'm, I'm not making that trade for him now five, six years later. So I'm definitely selling that trade rumor. And next one is an interesting one. Pascal Siakam to the 76ers. Are you buying or selling that? Uh, again, I'm going to sell. He he struggled early in the season, which was worrisome, and his numbers aren't the same, especially from three-point range. That's dropped almost 5%. 5%? Yeah, 5%. Uh, so that's worrying to see with how many he does take. But I don't think uh, Toronto's going to give up that valuable of a resource easily they're gonna want something big in return and it's probably gonna be Ben Simmons and I'd take Ben Simmons over Pascal Siakam so the trade's probably not gonna happen because uh the 76ers don't want to give up what Toronto wants them to yeah I'm selling that as well and when I look at Siakam I'm not if I'm the Raptors, I'm going to look at it from their point of view. I'm not trading a guy who's only in his fifth NBA season. And he, last season, averaged 23 points. This season's averaging 20 points, almost eight rebounds, and almost five assists. I'm not trading that type of talent, especially when right now, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, I would get to make a visit to the 76ers and play him in the postseason. I wouldn't do it. And when you're the 76ers, would you like to add Pascal Siakam? Absolutely. From the from the Sixers' point of view, you'd love to make that addition. Get Ben Simmons, Siakam, and Embiid. That would, I think, make them up there with the best teams in the East. They could make a lot of noise there with the Nets. And the Bucks. I'm not sold on the Bucks in general. But when you look at it, Siakam would be huge for the Sixers. But if you're the Raptors, why give him up? It would almost be kind of giving up on this team's ability to win another championship in the next couple of years by moving off of him. He was supposed to be that guy, if Kawhi Leonard left like he did, that was going to step up. He was going to be that guy. He's a 20-point scoring guy. Give him some time to develop. I think he's going to be just fine. And now, the Utah Jazz, who are the hottest team in the NBA right now, They lead. I think they have the best record in all the NBA currently, and they're the one seed in the West. Utah Jazz trade for DeMar DeRozan. You buying or selling that? I'm selling simply because for the Utah Jazz, if it ain't broke, don't break it. I know that's not the phrase, but that's how I like to say it. Anyway, uh, I think DeMar DeRozan does get traded. The Spurs didn't make the playoffs last year for the first time in forever. And he is a talented player still who's going off into the back part of his career. He's not going to be that superstar that's going to carry your team like he was with Toronto. 
but he's still going to be able to put up 15 to 20 points a game, which is super valuable for any contender. I I don't see him going to the Jazz, but I do see him going somewhere. I'm not sure where, though. Yeah, when I see this one, it was tough, but because I want to so bad, I'm going to buy it. Because I'd love to see it so much. DeMar DeRozan, in my opinion, I didn't like. Obviously, the Raptors made the right move. Bringing in Kawhi Leonard, I get that. But DeMar DeRozan was such a fan favorite, and I just don't like how DeMar DeRozan's career has gone since he's left the Raptors. He was a fantastic player, had one of the best mid-range shots in the league, and now we've seen him kind of, he has no media attention anymore, and no one's talking about him. I want to see him get to a Jazz team. When you look at the Jazz, Mitchell, Gobert, Jordan Clarkson scored 40 points Monday night. Impressive. Mike Conley Jr., Joe Ingles. When I see this team, obviously, yes, you have Rudy Gobert, who's a very good big. Adding DeMar DeRozan to that would be interesting. When I look at DeRozan right now, he's averaging about 20 points a game. I would put him in right instead of Joe Ingles, that shooting guard spot, next to Donovan Mitchell. And Joe Ingles right now is averaging about 11. And then that gives you the ability to bring Clarkson and Mike Conley off the bench with Ingles also coming off the bench there. He can play in that small forward role in your second rotation. I like that roster a lot if they were going to make a playoff push. And right now, sitting at the best record in basketball, I believe it's 23-5, and I believe. I think that just helps set the tone that, hey, we're the best team in basketball. We're going to go chase this thing. We're going to go win it. In the postseason last year, watching Donovan Mitchell put on a show and still lose to the Nuggets was heartbreaking because he was fantastic. Get him DeMar DeRozan. Get him another score next to him that's a consistent elite scorer. Get him that guy. And no, he's not the guy from Toronto anymore. But I think with the Jazz, he instantly steps into that number two scoring role. It's going to be DeRozan, Mitchell, and Gobert. And then from there, have your guys come off the bench. And if you have Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench, and he's not going to score 40 points coming off the bench like that again, but coming off the bench and giving you good minutes, good numbers like he has been with Conley, who's a very good veteran, I like that a lot. So I'm going to buy it because I want to see it. Next one we have here is Bradley Beal to the Bucks. You buying or selling that? I'm actually going to buy this one. I've been pessimistic this entire segment, but I think his value right now is pretty low. He's his uh, percentages are down, as opposed to his career. His three pointers are down. His points overall are way up, but I think he hasn't been as effective. And the Bucks desperately need three point shooting around Giannis, and Bradley Beal can. He one, he can shoot threes, and two, he takes some of that offensive load off of Giannis, and that's what the Bucks need to do. The that's one of the biggest things they missed on this offseason was not was the basically bungled trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. That was the biggest miss and my biggest problem with them so far. If they can add Bradley Beal That'll be a big step forward. Yeah, when I look at this team, this Bucks team, they need a shooter. Is it going to be Bradley Beal? 
I don't think so. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. I can't buy two in a row that I want to see. I would love to see it, but I just can't buy two in a row that I want to see. I'm going to sell it because Bradley Beal, he said he wants to stick with the Wizards because they did start out very bad, and they rattled a couple wins off in a row, and he said he wanted to stay. Now, if that stays that way, I'd be surprised. I think at some point he is going to want out. But if you are the Wizards and you're going to move on from Bradley Beal, what can you get for him? I think you can get a lot for him, a lot more than the Bucks can offer you because what we saw that trade you talked about, the Bucks gave up a lot in that deal, a lot more than I thought they should have. So now, and they did because they wanted to keep Giannis happy, get some stars around him. But no one's really talking about the Bucks anymore. Like they, everyone the last two years, we're talking about how the Bucks were the, one of the best teams in the league, and they were fantastic. No one's really talking about the Bucks right now. And if I'm Giannis, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yes, they need a shooter, but Bradley Beal, I just don't see him coming in there. He would be very nice to see with Giannis. Don't get me wrong. I think that would be a great duo and would put the Bucks right up there. And they already are top up there in the top of the East. But I think that would put them right in contention with actually competing with a team like the Nets and the 76ers come postseason time. And our last one we're going to look at here is Victor Oladipo to the Miami Heat. You buying or selling that one? I'm going to buy it. Uh the Miami Heat have struggled this season. That's probably an understatement, but Oladipo right now isn't on a team where he's going to stay. So I think they're going to deal him at the deadline or close to the deadline no matter what. They just want picks or uh, younger prospects. So it does make sense him being more of a star player you can add next to Jimmy Butler in Miami and hopefully those two pseudo stars essentially with the massive amount of depth you have in Miami can lift you up into a playoff spot in again a very weak east yeah for me I'm buying that one I've always been a big believer where there's smoke there's fire and there's been smoke with that rumor for over a year now and it's always been about when it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. He's now going to be a free agent at the end of the year. If you're going to trade him, now would be the time before this upcoming trade deadline. And when I look at it, I think the Heat became too complacent with the roster they had. They had a chance to go get James Harden, and they passed on it because they would have had to give up Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero, now in return, is struggling, not playing that type of basketball we saw in the bubble. And they bet too much on him to be that guy, that number two guy with Jimmy Butler. He's not anymore. Bringing in Aladipo, a guy who points-wise is up compared to his career average. He's having 20 points a game right now. So I think bringing him in would be key because now Jimmy Butler has a guy that he can trust and can rely on. You already have a very good big man in Bam Adebayo. And Hero can continue to develop and get better. And you have a good shooter in Duncan Robinson off the bench. So I'm definitely buying that rumor because, one, I want to see it. And, two, I think it's just been so long that we've talked about it. It's bound to happen at some point. And it may happen in free agency, but I'd like to see the trade happen this year, see if the Heat can turn things around. And now we're going to move into the NBA All-Star Game. That's going to be happening here in two, two to three weeks. And the players have come out against it. 
They weren't big fans of it. We've seen LeBron openly say he didn't like the idea. De'Aaron Fox as well. But the NBA still insists on having it. Are you concerned about an unnecessary game, essentially, happening with COVID numbers still high? Yeah, and overall, I don't think a lot of people watch the All-Star game. It's not that much of an event anymore. And this year, you're risking... You know, it's trouble enough having two teams with, like, 15 different guys on each team plus staff and coaches and trainers come together and play each other and figure out, all right, if someone gets sick, we have to quarantine everyone. You're bringing players from almost every team together. It's going to be a mess. Yeah, I agree 100%. When you're best player in the league and the guy who's been the constant face of the NBA for the last 10 years says, no, uh, we shouldn't have this game, you shouldn't be having it. Um, obviously there's different ways you could go about doing something for All-Star Weekend. I know, I get it, NBA wants to make the money off this game. But there's other ways you can make money. You look at the NFL, the way they did it. Got rid of the Pro Bowl, did a game of Madden. And it actually got a lot of ratings. And everyone talked about how fun it was to watch. Do something fun, do something different. I don't think the All-Star Game is the best idea the NBA's had. Because like you said, you have one player, he gets it now, you're talking about multiple other teams that are affected, especially with the little outbreak that they had the other night. We have There's been five canceled games this week, and I think it's going to be something you have to watch, what happens there. Now, they have made some adjustments. They have the plan to have all the pregame be events that you see. So with your skills challenge, things like that, and then the dunk contest at halftime of the All-Star Game. Are you a fan of this new plan? I don't hate it. It's not... Overall, it's not what's wrong with the All-Star game. And it's just not what I want out of an All-Star game. So I think just they don't need it right now because there are such easy alternatives to an All-Star game and these events especially with how popular sports gaming is and gaming overall is just on such a rise, you could easily do something with 2K so easily. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, when I look at it, the plan, it's going to be interesting. I guess it could be something different. Um, I personally, I know they can't right now, and I don't think they should. I personally liked it better when they did, they spread everything out. When you have the rising stars, the skills challenge, dunk contest, then the next day would be the game. Then you have the celebrity uh, game as well. I liked it in that way. And I know they moved this because of COVID, and I get that. And But I'm saying after everything's said and done and NBA's back to normal scheduling, I don't still want to see it this way because I don't, I don't want that. I want it to be spread out over the weekend, be All-Star Weekend again. Right now, no, because of everything that's going on. But once everything gets settled down, I want to see All-Star Weekend again. I, wouldn't, I don't want to see this all rushed into one night because the dunk contest, three-point contest, that's fun to watch. And I wouldn't want to see that just get rushed into one singular evening. And so now we're going to do a little Saturday predictions. We're going to go through about six or seven NBA games, give a quick prediction on who we think is going to win, and then 
on our social media pages later this week. We're going to post out the same games. See how many you can get right compared to us. And here we go. Spurs at Knicks. Who wins? I'm going with the Knicks. I like what they're building. It's young. They have a lot of uh, low-risk, high-reward guys, and I've always been a fan of Tom Thibodeau. So I'm going Knicks. Yeah, I'm going Knicks too. I like it a lot. And when I look at this Knicks team, Julius Randle coming off a very good game Monday night, 45-point game, I believe. He's really developing into his own. He's a 20-point guy, 22-point guy. So I like the Knicks to come out in that matchup. I think he can be the best player on the court. Golden State at the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Golden State, I, they're Curry, and they still have some decent decent depth there. Uh, the the Hornets just aren't there right now as a team, so Golden State. Yeah, I'm going Golden State too. I'd love to see the Hornets win, though. I like Lamelo Ball. I think he's going to be good in this league. He still needs time to develop. This Hornet the Hornets team's going in the right direction, but Steph Curry is playing like an MVP self. He can get back and get an MVP trophy himself because he's playing fantastic. Next game we have here is Pacers at Rockets. Who are you taking? I'm going with the Rockets. Victor Oladipo revenge game is all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's pretty much all you really have to say in that one. I like the Rockets as well. I think the duo of Oladipo, Wall, and then also adding in Boogie Cousins. I think it's a fantastic trio. Is it James Harden? No, but I still think it's successful and enough to get past a struggling Pacers team. Next one we have here is Heat at Lakers. Who are you taking? Uh, the Lakers at home are fantastic, even without uh, Anthony Davis. I think they'll be able to run over the Heat pretty quickly. It's like you're reading my mind. I'm also going with the Lakers on this one. I think, obviously, Jimmy Butler and the Heat are going to give their best run at them. This is that finals rematch. They're going to want to get the win. But LeBron James is just too much. I think he's the best player on the court in this matchup. And I think he's going to be himself and really be able to take a dub here. Next one, have Sacramento Kings at the Chicago Bulls. Who are you going with? I'm going with the Bulls. It, I think they're a little more well-rounded. The Kings have higher highs. But the Bulls, as a baseline team, are a little deeper. So I'm going with the Bulls. In this one, it was tough for me. I'm going to go with the Kings in this one. I'm a big fan of Buddy Heald. I think his scoring is going to be big down the way in this one. Then Darren Fox, he's also just an elite athlete. Um, I'm interested. That duo is a very good one. I think they're enough to beat this Bulls team. This Bulls team's getting better. And I think they're um, give them another year or so, and they're going to show really how good they can be. Next one we have the Phoenix Suns at the Memphis Grizzlies. Who are you taking? I'm taking the Grizzlies. I like the kind of scrappy team that they're building. The Suns overall are a better team, but I think the Grizzlies defensively are going to have a really good game. Yeah, and this one I'm going to go with the Suns. I love myself some point guard. I love Chris Paul. He's a fantastic player. Devin Booker, one of the best young stars in the league. DeAndre Ayton at center. It's hard for me to pick against them, but also at the same time, I look at this Grizzlies team. John Morant is so fun to watch, and he's going to be a star. Last game we have here is Wizards at Blazers. Who are you going with? I'm going with the Blazers. They're a very well-rounded team right now. If you look at points per game and uh, points per game allowed, they're almost right together, so they can score and they can also play defense, and I, I like that combo against a struggling Wizards team. Yeah, for me, I'm also going with the Blazers. Damian Lillard averaging 29 points this year. 
get this man another star with him in in uh, Portland. Excuse me. He's been he's needed it for a while now. And yes, I know first round exits. Don't let that fool you. Damian Lillard is probably the best point guard in the league right now. I know Steph Curry's coming back this year, but. When you look at just their games in general, last cup, last two years combined, I'm going with Damian Lillard because of Steph's injury issues. And that concludes our Saturday predictions for the NBA. And now we're going to move into our MLB talk here. And we're going to start out with the defending champions. Dodgers making some moves. What's new? Dodgers re-signed Justin Turner, their third baseman. Do you like this re-signing? Yeah, he was... He's been a part of their team for a while, uh, since 2014. He's been a consistent bat that adds a lot. He's had his name at kind of the lower end of MVP conversations. He wasn't he wasn't terrible in the shortened season, but he could have been better. Uh, but I, I like bringing him back overall. Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I don't love it. But I don't mind it whatsoever. He's a good player. And I do think he would be appreciated much more elsewhere. And I'm not saying the Dodgers don't appreciate him. But if he was on a different team and there wasn't a whole entire lineup filled with the best at their positions on this team, he would be more appreciated. You'd really see how good of a player he is. But on this Dodgers team, he's just kind of there. I mean, you don't really talk about him much, but he is a pretty good player. And with this signing, there's been a lot going on with the Padres and the Dodgers. Do you think the Dodgers are still primed to repeat now bringing back Josh Turner and the moves they've made? Not anymore. Not as much as I thought they were going out of the World Series. They're still one of the best teams in baseball, but it it's just they have more competition if the Padres look very good, and kind of sneakily, I think the Yankees, if they can stay healthy, especially in their starting lineup, they can be a force out there. The Yankees are an interesting team for me to watch. Yeah, I've been banging the Yankees drum last two years now, thinking they were going to get there, get there, so maybe this will finally be the year, but when I look at this Dodgers team, do I think they're primed to repeat? Yes, I think they are. Um, It's going to be very tough. But I think they are ready. They have a team that I think can take out anyone's on it. And it doesn't have to be a good day for them to be able to take out any team in the MLB. So I personally, for me, I think they're primed to repeat. It, like you said, the competition's a lot tougher. Don't get me wrong. But I still think when it's all said and done, they have the best chance to win it all currently, right now, unless something crazy happens. Now, when you look at how the Dodgers were built, they obviously have signed a lot of players, spend a lot of money, make any trade they need to get the big star player. Should MLB teams take tips from the Dodgers on how to create a team? Yes, I think so. It's I mean, it's overall a problem with the way teams are created and run as a whole. It's more about profit right now and not what it should be. What it ideally is, is winning games and winning championships for your team and your city. But if I'm going to the owners, you're investing and building up the amount of money your team is worth. And that's that's what the Dodgers have done. Not even talking about team 
like the team on the field, their value is probably sky high if the owners wanted to sell it right now. Not that they do. But they've taken stars and made big trades. And right now, they're the team to beat in baseball. Yeah, for me, absolutely should be taking tips. I am a Giants fan, and obviously Dodgers, big rivals there. But that's exactly, if you're a fan, if you're an owner, you're a player, that's how you want your team built. You're not going to be around forever to be able to win these championships. Players age so quickly these days. Like you talked about with Andre Drummond, 27 years old. He's getting up there in age. It's just how the sporting world goes. Yes, I want to see uh, teams create, get created like this. Sign the big-name players, spend the money. And I think a lot of people don't like how the Dodgers go and spend out all this money. I'm a fan of it that because they are doing whatever it takes to win a championship that shows you, one, I'd like to play for that team because ownership, they, they want to win. They want to be successful. You know you're playing with the best players. And then also, I think it's more of a problem. You look at a team, I believe it's the Pirates, where their spending is so low. You can't have that. I think that should be the biggest difference, in my opinion. Go create a team that is ready to win and compete if you're a bad team and you're spending the lowest amount in the league, that should be changed. That should be a different. That should be different. And now we look at the Padres versus the Dodgers. Right now in a seven-game series, who are you taking? Right here, right now. I'm taking the Dodgers because I know what I'm getting. I think this could definitely change really easily, and it could change. In a couple days from now, if there are any signings, and it's probably going to change during the season, it's just up and down the lineup. There are stars, and the pitching depth they have, you have seven starters who could easily be one of the best players in baseball, one of the best starters in baseball. And to have that... Each of those players could start a playoff game, and you'd be fine. You'd be happy with it. And they don't have to do that. And with how, you know, playoff baseball, it's a lot of a harder workload. They're gonna that starting rotation is gonna be an absolute force. So that's why I'm giving it to the Dodgers in best of seven. Yeah, it's tough for me. It two really good teams, and they're gonna be battling it out to represent the NL. When I look at it, I went with the Padres. And I did because, one, when I look at the rotation of the two, I know what I'm getting from the Dodgers with Kershaw, Bauer. It, that's really, you really like that, obviously. Kershaw has had times in the postseason where he's not lived up to the hype and he's let his team down. The same can be said with Bauer. He's also had some postseasons where it's not been that great, but he's also had some phenomenal ones. You get a little bit of up and down from Kershaw and Bauer. When I look at what the Padres have in their rotation, I feel like I have just a little bit more quality starts to it. You know, just a little bit more. Um, yes, they've everyone in the postseason has their downs, but I just know I have a little more quality starts as opposed to a team like the Dodgers with Kershaw, who's had some really bad starts in the postseason. And then when I look at the position players overall, I think – it's tough when you look at those two teams because the Padres, 
I think they're kind of the underdog right now. I think they rival just about anyone. Yes, I think the Dodgers have the better positional players out there. And even if I looked at the pitching in general, I would say yes, they're, they're, they have the lead in both of those. But when I look at this Padres team, they're so close in all of them, and they have the underdog mentality in this. They're playing. The Dodgers are the team they just won. They have all the confidence in the world. The Padres are playing underdog. They want to be the spoilers. And in sports, that's one of the best positions to be in because you are the most dangerous. So that's for me why I like the Padres in a game, a seven-game series. And I hope we get to see that. I hope we get to see a full seven-game series between these teams come postseason time. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're getting into some Cubs news here. Jake Arrieta, Chris Bryant find their names out there in the news. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we just got done talking about Justin Turner. Now we're going to move into another free agent signing that happened. And for the local Chicago Cubs fans, this one's pretty nostalgic. Got to like it a little bit. Cubs welcome back Jake Arrieta, their star pitcher from their World Series days. When you look at this signing, is this more than a nostalgic signing? Can he give them some quality starts? I think he'll give you some, he's going to eat up innings, which is what you want right now with your rotation as it stands. And he's going to be able to take games deep, uh, you know, pitch deep into games, six, seven innings that guys don't do as much anymore. But I don't think he's going to, there's no way he's as dominant as he was. It's just no one can sustain that dominance for that long. And you saw he's just not that anymore. Yeah, I think when I look at this, I agree. He can get some quality starts. No, it's not going to be his 19-0 self. It's not going to be that at all. But when you look at the Cubs, they're an organization that got rid of some fan favorites this offseason. This move, I think, is key. You bring back a fan favorite. That everyone, at the most of the people at the time, wanted to re-sign. Didn't want to let him go when he was wanting a lot of money. And I still think this can be a guy, the situation he's coming back into with this Cubs, being that low end of the rotation guy, I think he can give some big starts to the Cubs from that from that role. No, he's not going to be the same guy. I think that's one thing that Cubs fans are going to have to understand at some point. But he's going to give you some quality starts. He's going to play well, and he's going to have his down games. That's something Cubs fans haven't, had to necessarily see with Jake Arrieta because most of his down games came with the Phillies. But if I'm a Cubs fan, I like it. I like bringing back the fan favorite. And no, it's not going to be that. It's not that huge splash signing, but it's still a guy that's going to give you valuable time and it's going to be fun to watch. Everyone can break their Jake Arrieta jerseys back out because he is back. And now talking about fans in general with the Cubs, you're a Cubs fan. Would you be disappointed if he came in and, let's say, didn't play very well at all? Would that disappoint you? or I, A little bit. I always want the Cubs to win. But realistically, if he gets like blown up the first game and they designate him for assignment, I wouldn't be that surprised. I He could pull a Mike Fulton-Evitz if I'm probably pronouncing that wrong which is fine um I wouldn't be that surprised overall I think he he's just there 
to get people in the seats, some fan hype where there isn't much because Cubs fans aren't happy with ownership. Yeah, I don't think Cubs fans are going to be disappointed because I think they realize he's not the same player, but it's just a fun signing. It's fun to see a guy who did so well come back, and when you look at it, losing those players like Schwarber, trading away you Darvish, you have to give a little bit back to this fan base, and I think that's just enough to do it. Now, when I look at it, do I think this is a sign that keeps them afloat in the NL Central? I don't think it really moves the needle all that much within the NL Central. I think the Cardinals, with that Arenado trade, sit at the top. And I don't think this is really going to just move the Cubs up. Could it? I mean, does it put them in a better situation than they were in? I think so. When we talk, Last time we talked about the Cubs, we talked about how they needed to round out their rotation. That's what they're doing right now. So I think it helps keep them maybe in that second or third spot in the NL Central. I don't think it gets them into that one spot. What do you think? I think overall the NL Central is just a mess. Jake Arrieta, as much as I do enjoy watching him pitch, you know, we talked earlier about adjusting your game as you age. He's a power pitcher. And he hasn't really adjusted as his, as the power he throws with has gone down. And if you're looking at the advanced statistics, his spin rate has tanked in both his curve and his fastball. And all the advanced analytics are a lot lower than they were when he was so dominant. He's lost velocity and break on his breaking pitches. And just... Looking back at the NL Central, the Fangraphs uh, predictions and projections are they don't have any any NL Central team going over 500, which honestly I can see. I think the NL Central is going to be really bad this year. Yeah, I think when you look at the NL Central, obviously it's there's some weakness to it, um, and looking at this Cubs team. You obviously going into a season don't, especially with the roster you do have right now, guys like Rizzo, Baez, Contreras, and Chris Bryant. You don't want to just go in being okay. We can be not successful this year, and it's fine. Is what it is. Do you expect to see more moves from the Cubs to get them, let's say, in a better position? Unfortunately, no. I expect them to kind of stay where they are. They shouldn't at all. They should be making some big trades, some big acquisitions, or uh, trading away their big stars, one or the other. But right now they're in sports limbo, which is the worst place to be. You don't have good draft picks. The MLB draft is weird. You don't have good draft picks to get these top-tier players. You don't have a great farm system, and you're getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs. You're not a top team, and you're not a bottom team. It's the worst place in sports. Yeah, when I look at this Cubs team, I agree with all those points you said. And so, Do I expect them to make more moves? I want them to. I don't want to see them just kind of sit in that complacency there. I think the NL Central, like you talked about, it's so winnable. And realistically, when I look at what the Cubs, this offseason, the loss of Schwarber, you bring in Peterson, 
you could say that's you probably upgrade just a little bit, a little cheaper. It kind of washes, in my opinion, a little bit. I'd say it's more of a wash than anything. But the one that gets me the most is the moving on from you, and I know lots of money was involved in this. But it's tough to sell the fans that you moved off of your pitcher who was in the Cy Young conversations for most of the year for Jake Arrieta. Realistically, that's what we've seen so far as a swap there. And obviously, no, Arrieta's not going to be that uh, one or two guy in the rotation. But pitching-wise, you remove you Darvish and you add in Jake Arrieta to your rotation. And I'd like to see some more moves because that's just not something that I'm all too excited about. I think there could be a lot more done, especially with the NL Central being weak. Make a couple big moves. And they, they don't have to be monstrous moves, but make a couple moves. Keep on winning this division. And I think, obviously, fans don't want complacency, but continually winning the division is still a step forward and I think can help them moving forward as an organization. And now we're going to talk about trade rumors and we're going to talk about a guy who's been in trade rumors for, uh, it's been a while. It's been quite some time. And that's Chris Bryant, the Cubs star third baseman. He finds himself in rumors again. The front office came out today and said, no, he's not in those trade rumors. But I've heard all too many times front offices come out and say, this player's not going to be traded. They do get moved. I'm not saying that's going to be the situation. But the New York Mets are interested in acquiring Chris Bryant. If you're the Cubs, are you moving him? Not right now. His value right now is at probably some of the lowest it's been coming off injury. I think you wait for him to rebound if you do move from move on from him. It's just going to be, are you willing to pay him the big money that he wants? The big money that I think he deserves? I'm, I'm not in the front office. I think I'd like to be, but I'm not in the front office. So I don't know if they are going to move him. I think the Mets would be an interesting place for him to end up. But he it's just the similarities to Nolan Arenado scare me. That's what scares me as a Cubs fan. Yeah, when I look at this, should the Cubs move him? In my opinion, no. They shouldn't move him. And like you said, you made a great point about it being the lowest that uh, his value would be currently. But I'm going to look at from the other side. I'm the Mets, and I'm the front office there. Am I wanting to get Chris Bryant from the Cubs? Absolutely. And I know there's been struggles since his MVP year, and he's had still good seasons since then, but then some down, down years as well. But if I'm the Mets, I would be willing to bet on getting Chris Bryant and getting him on my team, knowing a change of scenery could be the best thing that ever happened to Chris Bryant. And I do think he can still be successful with the Cubs. But if I'm another team, his value is very low right now. Now would be the time to go buy, go get him. And let's say you even get 75 80% of that MVP self. You win this trade every single time. So if I'm the Mets, absolutely. I'm going and getting him. And am I giving a big haul for it? No, because I don't think that's what it would take right now if the Cubs are indeed looking to move him. And now, when we look at Chris Bryant, he's been a player that's fallen off quite a bit from his MVP self. What happened to Chris Bryant, and how far away is he from that MVP self? Everyone talks about how he's 
not the same guy. How far away is he from being that Chris Bryant? I think he's actually pretty close. It's just been some injuries at inopportune times. You know, he had the shoulder injury uh, a couple seasons ago, and he played through. It, it just took all the power out of his bat. He couldn't really do much. And then eventually he went on the I.L., comes back in a shortened season where the stats this year don't really mean anything because it's such a small sample size, but he also gets hurt again with a wrist injury. He's a talented player, and he can he has really good bat-to-ball skills, but I, it just isn't working right now. I think he needs to make one small change, and he's going to go on a tear. So it, he's just he's close, but he's not there yet. Yeah, when I look at what kind of happened to Chris Bryant, in my opinion, yes, I think one has been injuries. And that's huge for any player. If you're dealing with injuries, you're not going to be the same guy. But also, I put myself into his shoes real quick. I'm a player, and I'm constantly in trade rumors. When it comes to contract negotiations, I mean, things haven't been rainbows and roses in this uh, conversation between the Cubs and Chris Bryant when it comes to getting him a deal. And when you look at it, it just seems like there's quite a bit of tension between the two. And when you're Chris Bryant, your names have been in your name's been in trade rumors for years now. You have no sense of, okay, yes, you are sticking around, you're going to be the guy. And yes, the front office can tell you that, but it's sports. Front offices say what they need to and are willing to move on. I don't know how many times I listened to Dave Gellman say we never signed Odell just to trade him, just to trade him a month later. It happens in sports, and if I'm Chris Bryant, that's that's messing with me quite a bit. And that's why, one, I think the change of scenery would be so good because he wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. But he also, you can tell he loves the city of Chicago. This is where he wants to be. He just wants to know that he's wanted, and this can be a long-term spot for him. He doesn't want to be in these trade rumors anymore. And I think that is in part to what happened to Bryant. And wanting to get him back to his old self confidence is one of the biggest things in sports if you play confident you are going to be so successful you don't have to be the most athletic you don't have to be the best athlete but you can come in there with confidence and outdo a lot of professional players that way a confident Chris Bryant is an MVP Chris Bryant I want to see that back and now if you are the Mets and you add him Let's say you make the move, you get Chris Bryant. Does that make them ready to make a run at the Dodgers, at the Padres, at the Yankees? I think so. Uh, they're projected, just again, off fan graphs, they're projected fourth overall. And I think adding Chris Bryant would be a pretty good move. The only thing with Chris Bryant being traded whatever team he's traded to, you have to get him to a long-term deal. He's past arbitration. That's not a thing anymore. It's He's going straight to free agency. You have to get him on a long-term deal if you're going to trade him. So it's just the question, will the Mets commit to him? That's That's what it breaks down to if you add him. But absolutely, they can go on a run. Just with how dominant their pitching staff is. 
they can they can do great things in 2021. Yeah, if I'm the Mets, I'm looking at them, and I think it does instantly help them out. And it's a Dodgers-esque move. When I look at it, you're making a play for a big-time player, and you're hoping a change of scenery is going to help him out, and you're going to reap all the benefits of it. It could blow up in their face, but if I'm the Mets team, you're not going to make a move at the Dodgers or the Padres without swinging for the fences. And that's what this is. I give him that long-term deal because that's really what he's been looking for for years now. That's what he's won. He's won that long-term commitment. Go give that to him and hope that is what changes him. I would. I like the move a lot. And when you look at what else the Mets have, what they've done this offseason, season, adding Francisco Lindor, they have players there. They're ready to win. And then Pete Alonso, young, star, rookie of the year. I like it a lot. And I think it would make a lot of sense. I just don't. I don't think the Cubs. I don't. I don't know if the Cubs know what they want to do with Chris Bryant, but they certainly don't want him to go somewhere else and turn back into his MVP self. And I think that's what's holding them back, as at right now in terms of trading him. Next one we're gonna look at here is Mark Melanson signs with the Padres. When you look at this Padres team and all they've done this offseason. Are they using, and we've talked about it quite a bit tonight, this Dodgers all-in approach to go after the Dodgers? Yeah, they are. They're they're all-in, and I'm really excited for it because it's great for baseball. Mark Milan, Milankin, I'm bad with names, is, is a great piece for their bullpen, which I think needed just a little help. He's going to be fantastic. He was in the last couple seasons with Atlanta, and I think he can be still. He has a really high ERA+, plus, which is great. It just, you gotta win soon, because those big contracts, like Fernando Tatis Jr., you're gonna have to pay him a lot soon. Yeah, they're definitely using the Dodgers approach. They're going all in, and they're setting themselves up to be the one of the best teams in baseball, and that's what you have to do to attack the Dodgers. The Dodgers do it every year. We sit here and talk about, okay, the Dodgers, this is it. But no, they're in trade rumors for the best player in the MLB in that offseason. Then they go and get them. That's what the Dodgers do, and that's what the Padres are doing. They've seen They've really rounded out their pitching this offseason, which I think was huge for them to do. And then... You look at they have all types of positional players. I think they're fantastic. And using this approach is only going to make you better. I want to see a lot more teams in baseball do it. Go all in. We look at the Mets, talk about Chris Bryant. Go all in. Swing for the fences because you're not going to compete with the Dodgers just sitting back and watching all these players sign elsewhere. And now when you look at their pitching staff, does this signing kind of round out their staff for the offseason? I think so. I think they've added enough pieces this offseason to be successful next year. And what they have added, it's been really good. It's been really nice additions. And I just think they've set themselves up to compete. It's They're an exciting team. They were so much fun to watch last year, but now they have all types of players all over the roster that are they're not young anymore. And, yes, I know it's only been a year, but they have experience. They have postseason experience. They're ready to go win and I think they've rounded out their pitching staff. Yeah, they've definitely rounded out. That's the starting rotation. 
this year it's going to be Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Joe Musgrove, and Chris Paddock. Next year, they get Mike Clevenger back. That's, I don't know who he replaces there, or if they like go a six-man rotation, do something weird. That's going to be a dominant rotation. It's prob- probably the best in baseball. Maybe, you know, Dodgers competition there. But also the bullpen is stacked. They, you know, added Mark Melanchthon. <clears throat> they added him, and you've added a couple other names, Emilio Pagan, and for a rotation that's probably going to be eight, eight guys deep-ish, you have 13 start. You have 13 guys who can qualify for that bullpen, which also helps out if there are injuries midway through the season, you can call one up, or if you want to trade for some piece somewhere, you're they're they're in a really good place with their rotation. Yeah, and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch for years to come. And now we're going to look at new faces in new places. What was your favorite signing from this offseason? Uh, George Springer is my favorite. I'm really excited for the Blue Jays. They make a big splash. Uh, they also added Steven Matz. But George Springer as that really big star, it's, it's going to add value to the team. It's going to get people coming to games when they're allowed to. And they're just a young team, and that adds a veteran veteran presence to the team that's going to take them and help them do well in the playoffs. Yeah, for me, I kind of cheated a little bit. I did a trade. And my trade, I did still a new face. The new place was the Arenado trade. And I like that trade because I don't think it puts the Cardinals up in contention with all these good teams that we've been talking about. But it certainly gives the fans something to love. And what you gave up, that's really, really what it's like, okay. It's like they didn't give up much, got them to pay some of the contract. I mean, I would take Nolan Arenado for that too. So I love that move for them. And they do know winning NL Central was very plausible for them. So they go make a move to really put them, set themselves up to be in that position where they should win the NL Central. It's just great value there. And it's hard to not like that move there. So now we're going to look at some players left unsigned. Who's somebody left unsigned that you are most excited about? I think the pretty easy one is Jackie Bradley Jr. He's, I think, the best player who has not been uh, picked up by anybody. There are a lot of rumors going around of where he'll end up. It's it's just when and where is is what's going to happen. For me, I'd like to see him go to the Mets. I think he can end up there. They were in on George Springer. They didn't. Uh, they didn't hit on that. Uh, another option is, as much as I don't like them, the Astros, you lose George Springer, you fill that hole with Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, and for me, a guy that I I want to see go somewhere, I, I'm a big fan of the University H. Um, that's been something I like. So I'm going to go with Edward Encarcion. I think that he's going to be a guy I'm excited to see where he goes. He's a solid vet that's out there, and I think he can really help someone come in at that DH spot. 
10 home runs last season in the shortened season, obviously. But I think he can be a guy that can still help a veteran team, a team that's ready to go win everything right now. He could be a key piece for a team like that because if there's a big moment and you have to have someone come in, let's say either in that DH spot or that guy who's going to come in and pinch hit, I'd, t- I'd definitely put Carson out there nine times out of ten. So for me, I think he's the exciting free agent still out there. Obviously older, but still an exciting uh, free agent for me. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, on Instagram, give us a follow at KLA underscore UC. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at KLA underscore UC. And if you're on Facebook, give us a like at Sportsmanlike Conduct. Be sure to check out the social media this week for so you can also give your NBA predictions like we did earlier. See if you can do better than us. And also be out, be on the lookout for next week, our final Black History Month athlete to see who that is. Thank you for listening and good night. See ya.